0: Well, in every part of life, oops, I am sorry. Um, In every part in life, actions have consequences. Whether that is in the physical realm, Newton's law, any action must have an equal and opposite reaction. Um, You push against something, and it will either fall, or push back, or move. Or whether that's just in consequences of life. So, for instance, if you walk onto a bus, then you're going to go wherever that bus takes you. Um, if you jump from a high cliff, in all likelihood, you will die. Um, if you stay up late on Saturday night, you're going to be sleepy this morning as I preach to you. Um, if you put gasoline on a fire, you might get burned. If you shoot a gun, it's going to kick back. If you stir a hornet's nest, they will surely come after you. And sometimes the consequences of actions lie in the realm of probability. If you study hard for a test, in all likelihood, you will get a good grade. If you drive too fast, you may get a speeding ticket. If you work hard at your job, you may get a raise. Or if you don't work hard, you may get fired. The spiritual realm, really, it's no different. There are actions and there are consequences. If you sin, you will suffer. And if you obey the Lord, there will be blessings on your life. If your mind dwells on wicked things, temptation will surely come. If you socialize with bad company, your morals will be corrupted. If you trust in the Lord, He will make your paths straight. This morning we're going to look at our text, we're going to see some consequences of actions. The title of my message this morning is entitled, Results of Justification. Now note there that uh, I didn't entitle my message, The Results of Justification, as if there were a specific number of them. We're going to look at three of them today, but but those are by no means exhaustive, because there are many results of justification, but just our text pulls out three of them, and trusting In God and his sovereignty and his word, these are exactly the three that we need to learn about and think about today. So if you haven't done so already, I invite you to to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. If you didn't bring a Bible today, um, in your pew there is one, page 942, contains Romans 5. In fact, if you don't have a Bible, you take that one home. That is our gift to you. Romans 5, 1 through 5. I want to read it for us together here. Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love is has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And Paul begins our text this morning with a statement about justification. He writes, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. You've got to catch the tense here. This is a perfect tense. Not that it's the ultimate tense, but what it means is a past action with present results. It's true today that we have been in the past... Declared righteous, we have been justified, and those results carry through even to this present day. Paul says, since we have been declared righteous, justified by faith, these words are true. In fact, there's the, the consequence, right? This is setting everything up. Actions have consequences. And here's the action. It's not us doing something, but it is God doing something God justifying us by faith. Now, before we, we dig into this, I also need to just mention here that what Paul is doing is he is writing to the professing Christian church. He is assuming, and I think he's got good reason to believe that, I have good reason to believe that, that the, of you all, is that the Romans have believed. They have trusted in Christ. We have been justified by faith. If you're not believing in Christ today, you've not been justified but Paul is taking the assumption here that, that those in the church are. He writes in Romans 1, 7, those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. He just assumes that in his writing. Now, that's not to, not to just say, hey, everyone is there, but just the characteristic. These things, these results of justification are only true if you've believed and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's how... That's how they come. And really, in in chapter 5, verse 1, is a summary of all that we've been talking about these last four weeks in Romans chapter 4. It's all been about, Romans 4, is about Abraham and how he can be made right with God by believing in him and him granting righteousness to us. Declaring us righteous. Abraham was justified by faith. David was justified by faith. How every Old Testament saint was justified and how we are justified today. Over the past few weeks, I've shown you this diagram. And I just want to burn it into your mind so you'll remember to to write this down. Abraham believed the Lord and it was (coughs) (coughs) Whoa. I am okay. (coughs) I got some water up here maybe? It's gone. I'm okay. Um, Abraham believed in the Lord, and he counted to him as righteousness. So Abraham believes, and God grants, declares, righteous and just. In Romans 4, verse 5, To the one who believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And here we stand, the Lord is us, and what do we do? We believe, and God gives it to us. As righteousness. And, and, and you have to note, right, that they're being counted righteous apart from our religious works. Because Abraham was justified before he was circumcised. And so also, we are justified by faith alone before any religious act, be that a, a baptism, or be that a, a confirmation, or the Lord's Supper, taking part in that, or, or gaining some t- sort of Sunday school attendance awards. Th- these things count nothing toward our salvation. It's only by grace alone through faith alone. And note that we're counted righteous apart from any good works. Not necessarily religious works, but any good works that we might perform. Whether it's giving to the church or serving in the church or, or helping at VBS or, or helping a neighbor in distress or, or delivering water to the pastor or something like that. that you know—that's a, That's a good work, but it doesn't justify, okay? Mm. Mm. They don't. It's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Thank you, Karen. Sorry it took me so long to thank you. You're already back there. To the one who believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted to him as righteous. That's the gospel right there. We're not righteous. Well, we are, as the Latin phrase says, as Luther used to love, simul justus et peccator okay, simultaneously justified and a sinner. We are still sinners, but we're, it's we believe and trust in God, in Christ, and what he did on the cross, he justifies us, he declares us righteous, even though we continue sinning. It's not that, not that we believe and then all of a sudden we are righteous. It's not infused righteousness, as the Roman Catholics believe. This is declared righteous, imputed righteous, what God declares us to be. That's what Romans 4 is talking all about. Well, we bring about a few results. Three of them we're going to look at today. First result of justification, that we have peace with God. I trust you can see it right there in verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the first thing you need to notice here is the sort of peace we're talking about. Okay? We, are, we are not talking about some inner peace that brings tranquility into your life, though certainly that, that does come. When, when you are justified by faith, an inner tranquility will come in your life. You will be pacified. Your conscience will be settled. Your spirit can rest in the Lord, and, and those all are results of justification. It's just not what verse 1 is talking about we 're not talking about that sort of peace what what Paul is talking about here is having peace with God, not peace with ourselves, right? Look at it again, verse one, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is talking about a, a vertical peace, not an inward peace he 's talking about an objective peace, not a subjective peace that you feel, an objective. Peace that is, that is true. He's talking about having peace and reconciliation with the sovereign Lord of the universe. And quite frankly, there are many people who think they have this peace who don't. It's because oftentimes the wrong question is asked. People often ask, Well, are you at peace with God? You know, maybe someone's dying. Or maybe just, Are you at peace with God? That's not the question to ask. That's a subjective question. That's a question about your feelings. Are you feeling okay about how things are? Well, that's a feeling, but there is a, an objective reality with the right question. Is God at peace with you? That's what this verse is talking about. The result of justification is that God is at peace with us. For many, it's, it's not the case. I mean, and just th- consider Romans Right, Romans one eighteen, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And this is our natural state before God. He's angry with us. He's wrathful against us because of our sin. And, and rather than turning to God and realizing our sin and confessing our sin, what do we do? We, we turn away. Romans 3.12, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And apart from Christ, we are not friends of God. We are, as Romans 5 verse 10 looks at, we're going to be kind of alluding to this verse quite a bit in my message this morning as it talks about peace. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Man in his natural state is not a friend of God. We are enemies toward God, dead in our sin. As Romans 8 verse 7 says, the mind that it's set on the flesh is hostile to God. That's, that's our state before God, and many people in that state well, don't, don't see God, don't understand, don't know, and they're, they're okay. They're okay on their way to hell. But they don't realize that God is not at peace with them, but their feelings are okay. You might put it this way. We are at war with God. But now we are at peace with God. I want you to consider just what peace looks like after war. Now, we live in a generation... Um, by God's grace, that that hasn't known a catechismic huge war. Oh, there have been some wars, whether it's Korea or Vietnam or Iraq. We've, we've known some of those. But but not like World War II, where the whole world was engaged in this global conflict. It ended 70 years ago. So if you're 70, you don't remember it. If you're 75, you're 5 years old, and you remember a little. If you were 80, then you remember... And some of us here, you remember quite well, Shirley, huh? <clears throat> remember what it was like. And what was it like? Any words? Yeah, and then when the peace came, when the armistice was signed. Yeah. 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 But Stephen said 24-7 on the alert. I would, I would contend it was six years of hell. Maybe not so much for us in America, though we had loved ones overseas, but especially for those who are in the fighting zone. Right? Maybe for those in Hawaii at Pearl Harbor. Or maybe for those in, in Europe. But 60 million people died in World War II. 3% of the world's population died. 3%. That, that would be like of a typical 100 people. Three people. So in this room, we got, whatever, 120 people, 130, whatever. We're talking four of us, on average, would have died in the war. It means the vast majority of people alive on the planet during World War II knew somebody personally who died in the war because of the war. And during those six years, right, on edge, looking, anxiety, uncertainty, what would the world look like when the war was over? Is the war ever going to be over? And I'm sure that sometimes it looked like it's never going to end. Who's going to win this thing? But on VJ Day, when the armistice was signed, the war was ended. On that day, America, Great Britain, Australia, all over, there was dancing in the streets. Here's a picture I pulled from the Internet of Times Square. Just packed. And you can see these guys, right? They're all like, woo Like You know how hard that is right? when we take a church picture? Right? I'm like, I'm up here. I'm like, okay, can I, can I get your attention? Get your t- and look at all these people. They're like, like, woohoo, woo That's Times Square. I found another, some ran, Oak Ridge, Tennessee. I have no idea what happened in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, but the war ends. It's done. We're at peace. Or here's a, a picture of some allied personnel in Paris just holding up. Peace has come. Peace has come. It's peace, you know. And there's, there's joy and rejoicing there. You can see happiness and joy and exultation right? because peace has come. And we're going to talk about joy later. That's my, my third point. But here is peace had come. And similarly in our hearts, though it may not be as grand a scale worldwide, still there was in every human being, or there is, people are at war with God until the armistice is signed. And people lay down their weapons and bow at the foot of the cross. And at that moment, peace is established. And God is at peace with us. God's no longer angry with us. Instead, what we do is we know God's love and his favor. And that's where the text is heading. Look at verse 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's where he's going, changing from wrath and anger. Now we have peace and now his love comes upon us. Why? Because we worked? Because we're really good people? No, but because we believed in Christ. It's one of the realities of justification is that we have peace with God. Do you know that peace? Is God at peace with you? If you don't know that peace, just cry out to Christ. It's the only way. Notice that it comes through Jesus Christ. Verse 1. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It only comes, our peace with God, through the shed blood of Christ on the cross. That was Paul's point back in chapter 3, 24 and 25. And we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation in, by His blood, To be received by faith. Jesus bore the wrath that was meant for us. So that we might be made right with him. Through faith. When we believe. Do you believe? Are you one of these? As Paul writes to the saints in Rome. Are you a saint in Rome? (laughs) Simply because you believed. It's the only way to be made right with God. It's the only way to have peace with God. is through faith in him. Let's move on. Well, the result of sanctification is peace with God but second is access to God. We see here in verse 2 through him that is through Jesus we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Right in other words it's through Jesus that we know the grace of God. When Jesus came to this earth it says in John 1:14 that he was full of grace and truth. Jesus brought the grace of God into our lives. Now, it's not that God the Father is wrath and that Jesus is grace. Um, it's not that at all. Psalm 103. Some of us have been working on that. A fighter versus um, Psalm 103. It says in verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is Old Testament. God is Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Psalm 103, 10 and 12, 11. God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. God the Father is full of mercy and grace. Jesus was merely, though, the means that brought that grace to us. He brought it to us by dying on the cross for our sins, thus becoming our mediator between us and God. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. And now through Jesus we have access to God. Or more technically, verse 2, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand it's, it's through faith again. You just see this. Paul is pounding this idea. It's by faith. It's by faith. It's by faith. It's by faith. Now, the only reason that we can stand before God in the blazing holiness of his glory, God who dwells in unapproachable light, is because of grace. When Isaiah came into the presence of God, he said, Woe is me. I'm undone. I'm ruined. I'm lost. And if Isaiah, the holy prophet of God, was lost and undone and ruined in the presence of God, we are too. But the the good news is this. By God's grace through Christ, we can stand in the presence of God. Jude 24, not to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in his presence, blameless and with great joy. That God is the one who is able to make us stand in God's presence. And the key is, right? Through Christ, blameless in his sight. And you need to see and embrace this. It's not because we are righteous in ourselves. It's not because we are pure, can go into the pure's presence. No, because we are stained and sinful. How can we get into the pure one's presence? It's only because, as we believe, God imputes our belief as righteousness. We are justified by faith, and our access to God comes by faith, right? Let's consider that again. Verse 2, through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. When we believe in Christ, we're justified, and the result of that justification is that we have access to God. So let's think back to this war illustration, right? The first point was peace. Let's think about access, okay, in the context of, of war, See, when countries are at war with each other, there's hostility towards one another, and one nation is not welcome in another nation. So, so think back to World War II. If you were Japanese, and suppose you were stressed at work, suppose you've been working long, hard hours, and you're looking to take some sort of break, some sort of nice vacation, and you said, oh, I like to be in California. California is a beautiful place. And so you jump on a plane, and you travel to the United States to, want to behold the wonders of, of California. What would happen to you? You'd be locked up. You are, are not acceptable. You, you don't have access. As, as, P, as countries at war, you don't have access. In fact, even this very thing our nation did. Uh, mostly California. I'm not sure you all know this, but we travel out to California, we see this. That Here is a fine print. I'll just read some of it for you. The Western Defense Command and Fourth Army. Wartime Civil Control Administration, Presidio of San Francisco, California, April 30th, 1942. Instructions to all persons of Japanese ancestry living in the following area. All persons, both alien, Japanese ancestry, both alien and non-alien, will be evacuated from the above area on Thursday, May 7th, 1942 at noon. No Japanese person living in the above area will be permitted to change residence after... 12 o'clock noon, Thursday, April 30th, 1942, without obtaining special permission from the representatives of the commanding general, Southern California sector at the Civil Control Station located in Torrance, California. Because we're at war, we even imprisoned Japanese American citizens. We locked up more than 100,000 people in internment camps like this. More than 60% of them were American citizens. I mean, today it really sounds crazy. But listen, it was only a few months after this, after Pearl Harbor. And it was in the midst of the war and confusion. And with 1,500 dead in Pearl Harbor, we didn't know who the enemy was or who our friend was. In Japan, it attacked us, and so maybe there'd be some spies. So we're just going to lock all of them up. But here's my point, right? If you're a Japanese you had little friendly welcome in the United States. You, you didn't have access to the United States. And see, when we're, when we're at war with God, we don't have access to God. It says of the wicked that even his prayer is an abomination to the Lord. We don't have access to God in our wickedness, in our in our own. We can't come into God's presence to receive a, a friendly welcome. It says in chapter 5, verse 10, that we'll look at next week, right? We are enemies of God but through Him, we have obtained access by grace in which we stand. Grace. What is grace? Grace just given to you. Undeserved kindness of God upon our lives. We had a great illustration of this this week. One of the traditions of the Brandon household is that every, um, every St. Patrick's Day, we go to McDonald's and get our shamrock shakes. And we just do that, and so that was Friday, and so the kids were just begging me on, encouraging me, and uh, say, "Hey, can we can we go? Can we go?" And so finally, finally, we did. It's somewhat in the afternoon, and uh, I don't have pictures of this, um, but we walk into McDonald's. Okay, I've got a a little video to prove it. Okay, but we walked into McDonald's, and there there stands this guy. His name was Tom, and uh, he's got a little name badge. Got he says, "Um, "Hi, how are you guys doing?" And we're like, "Okay." He says. "Um, you know how often do you eat here, and kind of got got some things. And then he said, "You know what we we're just we're just here testing out a few menu items from McDonald's, and, and we're just wondering, um, like if if you would if I would buy you a sandwich, would you take that sandwich and fill out a survey and evaluate for us, and we'll give you ten dollar gift certificate to McDonald's as well." We're like, "Yeah, of course it will." Okay or the christian way to say that is this okay let me pray about it yeah yeah i'll do it <laughs> and so it was it was sr and i and the two little guys and uh, we were just we were given a sandwich and we're given 10 dollar gift certificate in exchange we taste we just told them what how it how it tasted and uh, that was that was all grace and then we had some surprises the molders showed up and our mail lady showed up like, these kids were like, hey, there's our mail lady. We don't know her name. We just know that she delivers our mail, and we kind of saw her. I got her on film, and it was kind of cool. So maybe I'll put that in the weekly word. It was kind of fun. But but that's grace. And, and that's how it is a little bit in coming into God's presence, is that, that God always greets us. His name's not Tom, but might as well be like, hey, I got a deal for you today. You just believe and trust in Jesus, and you can have access. You can have joy. Sins are forgiven. That's what it is through Christ has Has given us access, given us grace, and that's in which we stand. We stand on this grace. We don't stand on our works. We don't stand on our efforts. We don't stand on our merits. We stand on grace. Well, a third result of justification. Joy in God. And we've already sensed that, right, in verse 1, right? We have, we have peace with God. And, and what does it mean to have that peace from the wartime solved? That joy and spontaneous rejoicing. This is, yes, we are right with God. And access to God, that also ought to give you equal joy. To realize that, yes, you can come into God's presence whenever you desire. Simply by praying. And he hears your prayers. And in fact, even when we don't know how to pray as we ought As it says in Romans 8, the Spirit Himself helps us in our weaknesses with groanings too deep for words. Romans 8, 26. So God helps us pray, bringing us into His presence. It's amazing. But now we have joy, which ought to be the the overflow of peace and access to God. Here it is, the end of verse 2. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but here's something else we rejoice in. We rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Right? Before we were justified, the glory of God was a terrifying thing because God's favor wasn't upon us. And we didn't rejoice in the, the glory of God, we rejoiced in our sin. And when the glory of God would come, we'd turn that away. Why do you think it is that non-Christians, when you begin to speak with them about God, don't want to have anything to do with it? But, but turn their own way. Or just shut down the conversation. Or like turn it to talk about something else. Because they don't like the glory of God. Think about when the glory of God came upon Israel. Mount Sinai and the, the place shook. And Moses got to see the glory of God. And he even prayed for more because he was he was right with God. But the rest of the people who weren't right with God, you remember what they said? No, Moses, you go up. This is too terrible for us. We don't want the glory of God. And that's how many people are today. They don't want the glory of God. But one of the results of justification is that we do rejoice in God. We do rejoice in the glory of God. All right, so let's bring it back to World War II. All right, you're... Your feelings of joy or dread depended greatly on what side you were on. I mean, if you were in Japan, if you're Japanese, on December 17th, 1941, what would your reaction be? Like, woo-hoo, we got those Americans. We surprised them. We socked it to them. hoo we got them. You would be joyful because you're winning. And there was sorrow in the United States that very day. It brought us into the war. Or when the Third Reich was ascending to power. German nationalists rising up. In joy, following their Hitler, their leader. And great fear and dread in France and England. Like, oh, what's going to happen with this? What's going to happen? And when it comes to the Lord, really it's the same thing. When God is your enemy, you've got no joy in God. But if God is your friend, you're at peace with God, you have access with God, and you have great joy with God. In fact, here I said, justified sinners long for the glory of God to be spread throughout the earth. Right? That's why we believe as a church, right? What we need to do, we need to stand in grace, right? We need to enjoy his grace, and then what do we want to do? We want to extend his glory. The same same idea here. We we rejoice in hope of the the glory of God. That's why we, we pray, as Jesus taught us, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We want your kingdom, God, to come. We want your will to be done. We want your glory in the earth. That's why we, we pray, as Clark Richardson preached two weeks ago. God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause your face to shine upon us. Right, Bless us that your name may be known throughout the earth, your salvation among all the nations. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. Bring glory throughout all the earth. We, we long for God's glory. We long to be like Moses who says, Show me Your glory. And when Jesus prayed this, we say amen to this. John fourteen twenty four, the high priestly prayer. Father, I desire that they also whom You have given Me may be with Me where I am to see My glory that You have given Me. He's praying for us. That we might be with him, that we might see his glory and rejoice in it, and give God further glory, listen because of our justification, we have have joy in God because we have joy in His glory, but we also even beyond that, we have joy in our trials because we see God, we see something bigger of what 's happening. Look at verse three, this is like like Titan on. not, not only we hope rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but we rejoice in our Sufferings. And you gotta stop there. You gotta say, What in the world are you talking about? Who rejoices in his sufferings? Bad things come, and you're like, whoo No, we rejoice when we get our present, or when right, we, we get a good grade on the test, right? Or or when there's something good happens at work, or when something good, and when something bad happens, we don't rejoice. We weep. How is it that we rejoice in our sufferings? Well, there's a, there's a link. I, ho- I trust that you noticed how our suffering produces endurance, and our endurance produces character, and our character produces hope, and hope brings no shame. Sounds a lot like James, right? You know James chapter 1, verse 2? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We can joy and rejoice in trials because we know of the end fruit of what it's going to produce. And it's end produce what it's going to produce in this instance is, is no shame or no disappointment. Because God is faithful and he's going to pour out his love. Verse 5, God's love been poured out into his hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So we know ultimately that our sufferings are going to bring us into this chain to ultimately cause us to rely upon God who's faithful to help us in these times. Let's just think about these things, right? Suffering produces endurance. Well, it's a principle of exercise. You got out today and you run a mile. And you got out tomorrow and running a mile is going to be just a little bit easier and you could run just a little bit further or you lift 100 pounds today and tomorrow if you come back you're going to be able to lift a little bit tomorrow and with our faith right it works like this right we suffer a little bit today it's going to strengthen our faith so we're going to be a little bit stronger in our faith tomorrow Suffering produces endurance. And how does endurance produce character? Well, what's character but right response in all situations, even in tough situations? Psalm 15 speaks about how the righteous man swears even to his hurt. He made a promise. Circumstances have changed. Didn't it be better for him, advantageous-wise, financially, whatever, just not to do that. But he made the commitment, and he carries through that even to his own hurt because he's endured. And that's what character is about. Character shines... When the world is against you, not when everything is is going right, but it, but it's right it's it's when the pressure is is put on you, right? Character will shine through. That's what Job said. He knows the way I take. Job twenty three ten. When he has tried me, I shall come out like gold. Endurance produces the gold of character. And the next one, character produces hope. See, solid character knows. That even though I'm doing this thing to my own hurt, because I'm doing the right thing, that's looking ahead, right? I'm not living for today. I'm living for my integrity. And when you live for your integrity, you're living for hopes, right? Through the ups and downs of life, your character will be steady to produce a hope that's beyond this life. It's a hope for the glory of God, even when all seems lost. And you say, well, how does this hope bring no shame well, some translations say it does not disappoint. Um, it, it could be this: is that it doesn't bring any lack, any any cause for reproach against us, because God is always going to be faithful. Right? He's always going to be true, and when we trust in God and His promises, is that we are justified by faith. He'll always come through and, and pull through, and in that we can rejoice. And, and how does He do it? He does it in abundance. Right, this this hope doesn't put us to shame. This hope isn't disappointed because God is always faithful to His promises. Because here it is, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. And just right there, you, you pour out. I mean, you just even picture that. It's not like a little sprinkle. It's it's like a gushing river coming upon us. Right. So so don't think um, don't think Kishwaukee River. Don't think Rock River don't think Mississippi, think Amazon, right? That the Holy Spirit's been poured out, it's just gushed upon us, that, that we once were enemies, now we have peace with God, now we have access to God, and God is just showering us with blessings, every spiritual blessing we have in the heavenly places in Christ. But it comes through the Holy Spirit. When we get to chapter 8, we're going to see about how the Spirit comes. He helps us in our weaknesses, He searches our mind. He searches our heart. He helps us in the the path of of sanctification. And God's wrath has been turned into love that has been given us. We're going to see love next week in verse 8. God shows His love towards us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And and right there is the Gospel. Sinners though we be, God, because of His love, he died for us. And that's exactly what we celebrate, the Lord's Supper, as so we, we just look to transition right now. Right, we're going to, every Sunday until Easter, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper just to focus our heart upon the cross of Christ, focus our heart upon His death, so we can reflect then upon His resurrection in, in a great way.